0: Welcome to the USCCB First Freedom Podcast. I am Aaron Matthew Weldon. And I'm Mary McCluskey. For decades, the Catholic bishops in the U.S. have advocated for the rights of parents to be able to choose how to educate their children. And in fact, the Church explicitly teaches that government must acknowledge the right of parents to make a genuinely free choice of schools and other means of education. So today we're going to talk about school choice in Catholic education here with us is Jennifer Daniels. Jennifer is Associate Director for Public Policy in the Secretariat of Catholic Education here at the USECB. She is also, I'm happy to say, a Fightin' Texas Aggie, as am I, so it's great to be joined by another, by a fellow Aggie. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And let me respond with Giga Aggies. All right, Gigam. <laughs> so it might seem
0: uh, counterintuitive that a graduate of a public university, Texas A&M is a large uh, state school in, in Texas. Obviously, Thank uh, you we,
1: for explain that yeah. for the rest of us who did not go there. Yeah, so,
0: so we're, we're, we both went to Texas A&M. It's uh, a major state university. Uh, it might seem counterintuitive that uh, uh, you know that a product of a state school or public education would become the champion for the bishops on Catholic education here in in Washington. So just give us a sense of your background. How did you get involved in this kind of work?
1: Well, it is a long and windy story, but the seeds were definitely planted um, through Catholic education. Um, I actually grew up Baptist, but attended Catholic schools um, just for a few years in elementary school. And fast forward to college at Texas A&M where I was trying to find my place. I kind of randomly decided one day to start going to daily mass and got really involved in an amazing student ministry at Texas A&M University. um, And eventually went through RCIA at the university with my now husband, Gavin. and we were under the direction and spiritual leadership of two amazing priests, Father David Condalera and Father Mike Sis, who are now, ironically enough, United States bishops. And yeah. it's like I, I'm getting to work for them now. So I feel really blessed to, um, that for all of that to come full circle. Um, but I did major in education at Texas A&M. I wanted to get involved in education, but not so much in the classroom. I always liked the idea of education policy, education reform, And particularly trying to find a way to break the cycle of poverty and get children into quality academic environments where they can be the best that they can be. Um, And throughout all the years in education policy, I've uh, learned that I do strongly believe Catholic education is one of the best ways to do that, Um, one of the best ways to lift families up um, out of poverty and and give them a bright future ahead. So it all kind of came full circle in that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, I grew up Baptist also, uh, and so both converts and Aggies, although I didn't, uh, it wasn't at A&M that I got interested in the church, but I mean, just can you say a little bit about that, though, if you don't mind? I mean, A&M has a pretty big campus ministry, right? Was uh, is, Did you know other Catholics there? Sorry to kind of sidetrack, but I'm kind of interested in that part of the story yeah, too like
1: how you just randomly started going to daily mass <laughs> like i'm sure the holy spirit had something to do with that but maybe people too or other students but, or yeah the know. catholics
0: have a very strong presence at, okay. at a&m my neighbors were catholic so the first mass i did ever go to was while i was at a&m just the people who lived above me in my apartment complex i'm just curious though how how it was for you did somebody invite you, or how did you get interested in them?
1: No, I think I would put it all in on the Holy Spirit, because I, I really did just start going 100% by myself. Um, I just I, I, w- I never struggled with my faith, but I was struggling with finding the right place to, to worship. And I was looking for something a little bit more quiet and intimate. Um, and when I did decide to go to daily mass, I just kind of looked around and just saw all of these people so intently worshiping at Mass, you know, very prayerful, and um, and it was very appealing, and then this, the strength of the leadership there that were very, I don't know what they're looking, like, I guess Orthodox is maybe the right word, you know, it was a very conservative type of worship that I really hadn't seen before, um, going to, you know, I went to Eucharistic Adoration, which was obviously new to me, and People walked in and physically prostrated, got down on their knees before they would sit down to pray. I'd never seen anything like that before. Um, And the devoutness of the community, I think, really, really spoke to me and and made me want to learn why they were doing what they were doing and why, you know, why they, and and, and keep learning. And so, um, and actually, so one of the first things I started doing was just Googling things like what is Eucharistic Adoration and what is... You know where the rosary come from and uh, why do Catholics worship Mary as Protestants all think. Um, and there was amazing resources on EWTN and Catholic answers and websites like that. Um, that, uh, that I would go to just to kind of study. And, and the more I learned, the more I felt like, um, it was a great kind of the next step, like a full evolution of, of my faith to, uh, The one true holy Catholic Church, if you (laughs) will, you know, to be a little, and so and so going then going to RCIA was it was a wonderful experience where they had a really great um, great leadership and a great community there. Um, Another plug I would just put in for Texas A and M is what's called Aggie Awakening, which is a a retreat that they do, which really does bring especially young new new students into the community where they can get to um, develop relationships with peers and then go on to lead the retreat in future years, and Texas a m has taken this um, on the road, and they've expanded it to multiple colleges now, and it's become a great spiritual resources for, for students in college.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good to hear. I was I was aware of the Aggie Awakening thing, like I said, but but um, and, and know that it, it really played a, a major role in forming uh, a lot of people, and so it's good to hear that a good model is maybe kind of being exported a little bit. Um so but so to get back though into the into the um public policy stuff uh, <laughs> your
1: work your <laughs> yeah yeah achievements <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh just say a little bit about uh you know what some of the biggest obstacles are in that parents face in in offering a genuine or giving their making a genuinely free choice of schools uh, for their kids, you mentioned lifting people out of poverty is, is Is that the main issue is financial constraints or talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, when it comes to school choice, um, that is that is a major focus of our work is that many of the public publicly funded programs out there are targeted um, for low income families. That are often in failing public schools and they're looking for a way out and the school choice programs are are there for that purpose Um, but that being said one of the biggest obstacles is access because there are only 26 states that currently have a school choice program Um, and there are 52 different programs but most of them are designed specifically for a targeted population such as low-income students or special needs children Um, so we want to grow that, um, and then secondly, and to the knowledge of school choice. What is school choice? What are the different programs? What's available in my city or my state? Um, there's lots of programs, lots of different rules for each of these programs, and it can get complicated for parents to try and navigate the system. So we work really hard to try and educate parents, um, particularly the state Catholic conferences. They do a lot of outreach um, and, and, and workshops and things like that with our with with the with local um, parishes, um, but that is that does make it complicated to have to navigate first the school choice system and then second secondly to get into a private school can take some some effort, lots of forms and paperwork and things like that too. so we have to really be there to support not just the passing of the legislation but actually support the families on the ground as they're trying to go through this process and make these decisions and be there with them to support them throughout the whole thing so one two three nuts and bolts definition of school choice, I mean, is it, is it a legal concern or is it more a funding concern or sometimes both? So if I'm the parent of a sixth grader in the state of you know, I don't know Nebraska, just any random. so it's, is it that I, I cannot send my child to I can, it basically the issue is really funding. So it's who's going to pay for it. Am I going to be able to use a voucher to help pay for to send my child to a private Catholic school? Or if I don't have the money, there's no funding, and so therefore I need to send them to a public school that maybe is not as good. Mm-hmm. That yeah, I mean, school choice advocates like to say we absolutely do have school choice everywhere in this country. If you're rich enough, you can buy a really expensive house in the most Wealthy school district and you can send your kid to the best school that there is around or you can pay a super high tuition to go to Whatever private school you're in but if you don't have those resources at your fingertips You are assigned to a public school by your zip code like it or not. That's your option That's your one option So we are trying to give more access to more schools and more options to parents and yes That does require public funding that is so you know Uh, this plays out in a couple different ways. So you might have a voucher, which is basically a scholarship, and that's a publicly funded scholarship that is usually regulated by the state, and the parents apply for the voucher, and then they receive the state. The money goes to the parent, not to the school, and then the parent takes that voucher to the school of their choice. Um, And we have 23 voucher programs in 13 different states, including Washington, D.C., Um, And another way is through what's called a tax credit program, where there's a uh, tax benefit given to individuals or corporations to donate money to a third-party entity, what we call a scholarship-granting organization in most cases, and those third-party entities give out the money to children, usually based on need, and then those children can take that money to whatever school that they want to take Mm -hmm. it to. And these are all, you know, publicly funded programs and all at the state level with the exception of the D.C. program. It's the only real federal school choice program that there is, but it's exclusively for D.C. residents.
0: Mm-hmm. I wonder if you might comment a little bit on um, on on the issue of, of need, because that, that can be pretty, that can be tricky, like, uh, you know, I, I can think of one family off the top of my head that I think they have uh, four or five kids. So they have lots of kids. It's going to get very expensive to try to send all of those kids to the Catholic school. Uh, the dad is a professor, so he's making okay, but, but not a lot. And so they're kind of in a – and this is in Maryland, and, but within the Washington, in the inner suburbs. So it's expensive – very expensive to live here, um, so that you kind of got like like how the need aspect is determined can it can be a tricky question, I would think I mean, can you just say a little bit about that?
1: Well, this has been a great concern, particularly of the bishops here because we obviously want to help our low income neighbors and we want to give them access to get out of poverty, but we also have blue-collar and, in some cases, white-collar parishioners every Sunday at church who cannot afford Catholic school tuition, and the bishops want to help with that problem as well. Um, so many dioceses or schools have tuition assistance that, you know, is open to any family that wants to apply for them, and in most cases, those awards are not 100% scholarships, but they're kind of given out based on the need. So the question is looking at what are, what are all of your obligations and what extra amount might you need to just kind of cover that final, um, dollar amount to, to get you to afford the tuition. Um, and so they tend to be smaller, but more broad. Um, another exciting public policy, uh, change is that when the tax bill was passed in, just in December in 2017, um, they expanded the 529 education savings programs. and These have been around for, several years, but it was only for parents to save for their kids' college. And they've been very popular. Millions and millions of families have these. And the law was changed. They changed the definition to allow you to save for K-12 private school tuition. So this is really helpful for those families that um, have a little bit of money to save. This isn't going to help families that are in severe poverty that are trying to make through the month but for those middle class lower middle class families that maybe they could put away a little bit every month uh, if they could start saving as soon as their child is born they've got five or six years to have a tax um, incentive to save for k-12 education and presumably you know they could ask their grandparents to contribute aunts and uncles godparents um, and the whole community can kind of come together to help this family send their kids to catholic school even starting in kindergarten so this is a brand new uh, change, and so we're really working hard to spread the news about this through our Catholic conferences and um, to, all, to all, you know, all across the country to families that um, this is an, a new savings opportunity for them. So it would be for any private school, mm-hmm. not just religious schools, just yep. any private, okay. Yeah, okay, okay. yep. that's great. And currently the definition is limited to t- just tuition, Whereas in the higher ed definition, it actually is any education expenses. You could use it for technology or books and things like that. So we're actually, one of our efforts right now is to work to get that definition expanded to be K-12 education expenses as well. Um, and then families that aren't in private school could use it for maybe supplementary special needs help or mm. books or supplies or transportation, things like that. So
0: I like the idea, though, you you mentioned uh, you know, other people getting involved to pitch in on, on the savings account because it it makes it uh, like a community. the The idea that like we help each other out that it's a way that, that everybody can get involved. So if you have, uh, it's not just for your own kids. If you if you're able to, to maybe give a gift to uh, a friend or a relative or or as you say, godchildren. Uh, it's It's another way that you can give is to help with their education uh, I, so it seems like a great like a great idea in terms of a, a way that people can get involved and do something
1: yeah I'd like to propose from now on anytime you go to a baptism, bring an application for a five twenty nine and every time a child gets baptized, a child we should open up a five twenty nine for that family and instead of yeah. all the people giving you know uh money or cash or whatever, we'll make yeah. sure that each child gets a 529 it's part of the sacramental preparation.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's a good idea. It's just, uh, I think with so many things, people, when it comes to, like, when we're talking, in some ways we're talking about this as a political or a policy issue, but that can seem like people don't know who are outside of Washington are like, well, what can I do, though? And this is, like, something concrete that you can do to to. To help other people and build community that way, when you do that, so I think it's a good idea to get as a way to you know propose people get more involved. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about when you talk about some of the policy proposals that are out there? um, You know, what are some of the challenges that that we face in, in seeing those things, those policies through? I mean, where yeah, where is the opposition coming from? I mean, you mentioned. Because when you mention trying to help lift uh, low-income families out of poverty, I mean, I would think that because I, I am a humble theologian, I'm not making, I'm not on the hill. I don't get into, pol- into the policy debates, and so maybe I'm being naive, but I would assume you could find common ground in our pol- our polarized uh, political. Seen now, but maybe I'm being naive. Like, where where does opposition come from? Where are the challenges coming from?
1: Uh, well, you know, follow the money. You know, we are always you know we're talking about money, and so we you know there's a huge push that uh, narrative that says school choice takes money away from public schools. And this is, is not the case because many of these programs are um, funded through new money. They're not funded through the budget of the state education program. The D.C. scholarship program did not come out of the D.C. school budget. Um, and many. And in terms of a scholarship tax credit program, which represents, um, you know, almost half of all of that, that's private money that's given to an organization to raise funds for scholarships. So I think that's the most important um, talking point I'd want people to understand is that school choice does not equal taking money away from from the public school system. Uh, But outside of politics, one of the biggest problems is that um, our country, in in our country, historically, education has been a state and local issue. So therefore, this is a state-by-state slog of going from place to place to create a program that best fits the constitution of the state and the laws of the state and the needs of the people in each state. So we're not going to wake up one morning and find out that school choice has magically passed for the entire country and all children have access to school choice tomorrow. That's just probably not reasonable in the context of how our system works. But we will, over the course of many more years, continue to slowly, slowly grow school choice. Um, Now that being said, we've had some big wins very recently um, since 2000. 10, we've had 15 states enact new programs, and in the past five years alone, enrollment has grown by 100% in all of these programs. So we're making, you know, good waves. Um, but another reality is that state con- some states have state constitutions that prohibit any access of state taxpayer dollars to religious organizations. Um, but even in that case, we have... Um, had a lot of wins from the even state supreme courts and the supreme court of the united states where they have ruled multiple times in favor of school choice programs such as vouchers and also for the rights of private institutions to apply for publicly funded grants Mm -hmm. and so we continue to um, feel that some of those restrictions might be lifted going forward with other court cases as well
0: yeah, I know that uh, the Trinity Lutheran case was one of the main ones that we were following, uh, tracking last year, and um, and and it had a ripple effect on other things besides just school choice. There was also the disaster relief grants for houses of worship. It was able to the FEMA was able to they were able to even you know put that in the disaster relief legislation so that it's. That that's permanent now. Future administration can't change FEMA's policy. So, so, uh, so yeah, it's just uh, th- these sorts of things are uh, trying to kind of cut away at the the way that the, these sorts of uh, state constitutions, that with, with the Blaine amendments, preventing uh, trying to separate the, or prevent public funding from going to to religious institutions. It's good to see that they're kind of chipping away at those in some ways. So. Um, you know, one thing I want to ask you about is just the role that Catholic schools, uh, I mean, I know we focus on Catholic schools, it probably could be religious schools in general, but that Catholic schools play in public life or in a neighborhood. I think for us it's really important, this is an important piece uh, to uh, of this issue because you know, in Catholic thinking about public life, the common good is is one of the foundational, I mean, it's, it's a fundamental principle. And so we're not just like saying, we're not for school choice just because, because we want to benefit ourselves. I mean, we want, this is something we think is good for the country. Like this isn't just a way to kind of, to we're not a private interest group just sort of looking out for ourselves. Uh, so I wonder if you could say a little bit about Catholic schools, how they form citizens. Uh, my, because my, my general sense is that they often do a better, good job, like better, a better job than than other institutions at, at forming citizens, building up neighborhoods, just generally building up and contributing to civil society.
1: Absolutely, there are probably dozens of reports. Uh, chronically and exactly what you just said, the impact of Catholic schools on the community, which they sit in as well as the successes of the graduates, not just that they graduated high school, but, you know, going forward. Um, Just a couple examples is that students in Catholic schools demonstrate higher academic achievement than their public school peers, even from socioeconomic backgrounds. And we serve, you know, almost 20% Hispanic or Latino or African-American families throughout the country. Um, And that said, we still across the board have a 99% high school graduation rate and 85% of our graduates go on to college. Um, And in fact, a Latino or black student is 42% more likely to graduate from high school if they're in a Catholic school than in a public school. Um, And from the perception of this surrounding community, Um, There's been lots of studies that show how Catholic schools strengthen their local communities, and one particularly looked at crime in Chicago, and they showed that police beats in Chicago who were in a neighborhood that had a school closure had higher crime rates than neighborhoods where the Catholic schools were still open. Um, And going forward, Catholic school graduates are more civically engaged, they're more likely to vote, they're more likely to be tolerant of diverse views, and they're more committed to service, um, public service as adults, and they're less likely to be incarcerated than their public school peers. Um, and that being set aside, the individual benefits to the nation, you know, our parents are basically paying taxes twice, they pay their taxes and they pay their tuition, Mm -hmm. um, and with their kids not being in, in those public schools that they are paying for, still, Catholic schools save taxpayer dollars more than $20 billion annually. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the academic excellence is is valuable, but also, like, the moral formation. You know, whether, whether you're a, a non-Catholic student going to a Catholic school or you're Catholic, there's still that, you know, they're going to be receiving an excellent moral formation all throughout their years of Catholic school, religion classes. And as you said, community engagement and giving back to learning to civic and community, uh, charitable activities. And so to me, that's a, a huge benefit as well is, I mean, we're really, you know, making sure moral formation of our, our young is more important now than ever, as we see all the crime the and terrible things happening in high schools and, schools these days so yeah absolutely we like to say that we educate the whole child you know their spiritual life their mental life you know academic obviously but you know it all comes from our belief that all the children are formed in the image of God and so um, we're not just there to teach them math you know we are there to form them to be um, to grow into the, the adults that and to follow the the plan that God has for them uh, that he instituted when he created them in his image, for sure. Yeah, I mean,
0: I'm kind of fascinated by the whole thing about the civic engagement and more likely to vote, because I just wonder, or and being more tolerant, like, I wonder why, you know, I mean, I, and I'm not saying we have to answer that, but it's just, I'm curious, uh, or I wonder if, if much, if there's been follow-up to these sorts of reports, because I know they've been around for a while, these sorts of um, studies showing this kind of thing. I mean, I wonder if you know, if one reason for it maybe is because a Catholic school or just even any faith-based school might have more of a sense of the, of a, of purpose for why you're doing an education, getting an education at all, whereas I think right now our culture is so fragmented that the purpose of education itself is sort of it's not even clear what what it's for. I think in 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 a public school, when if if you can't um, if it's supposed to be kind of neutral with regards to moral questions and stuff like that, um, if it ends up just being sort of all over the place, I'm not sure. I, I, but I wonder if that sense of kind of there's a reason, like it's rooted in every person is made in the in the image of God that. Uh, that just gives it a different sort of ethos at the this, at this school. I don't know. It's just kind of fascinating to me. Um, in terms of all the, the policy uh, solutions you've talked about, uh, can you give us a sense of, you know, what are what gives you hope? Or where are you the most hopeful where that progress can be made? Or we kind of talked about that a little bit with the kind of chipping away at blank amendments and that sort of thing. Are there any other, anything out there that you're really hopeful for that you're, that you're thinking, like, you know, this is the next step, kind of?
1: Well, um, in terms of policy, we have, um, there's been a a renewed interest in in federal programs where the focus has been on the state, and so there has been a renewed interest in some federal programs. We have uh, about five that we're following right now. one is focused on helping Native Americans get access to school choice. One is focused on helping military families get access to school choice. Um, another one is helping families that are looking for a, um, a, tr- a trade or a skill get access to more vocational opportunities that may not be available. Um, and then bigger picture, we are looking for a, a good bill that would provide a federal tax credit for uh donations to scholarship-granting organizations so that we would have a federal scholarship-granting uh, tax credit uh, similar to the ones that we have throughout the states. So there is renewed interest in Congress, but we do need to continue to rally support in Congress and, and help show them uh, the importance of the impact that these programs have on the students. Um, but you know, I think the thing that gives me the most hope every day and coming to work is just that, you know, I am certain that our Catholic schools save the lives of the children that we serve in many cases, children that are, uh, have opportunity to go to Catholic school um, that may be in a failing school. Um, uh, our schools, we like to say that Jesus is in the center of everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like as long as we keep doing that, we will keep having that impact on the children mm-hmm. um, and we'll continue to, to thrive and that our schools, our schools will continue to grow and we'll be able to serve more children
0: yeah i think that that's it's helpful when you work in, in this office i think to to at, at the bishop's conference in general because sometimes it's easy to to like look at where you wish we were and and feel like oh are we really getting as much done as i as as i would like as are where, where we want to be but then it's it is important to think but we have accomplished something and it's good for those for those people i mean like in the pro-life office certainly we would like to make more progress on the pro-life issue but the fact that we even have had some successes i mean there are kids who are alive now who might not have been if if um if you hadn't if the pro-life office hadn't been diligent and same with this that you know, there are people who are getting a quality education who might not if we weren't
1: active on
0: this issue. So it's it's important, I think, to kind of keep that perspective or
1: helpful. Well, and all the children that we are serving right now are only going to expect this and more from their legislators going forward when they have children. You mm-hmm. know, if they were a product of school choice and they didn't have to attend a school they didn't want to go to, then they're going to expect nothing less as we go forward. So mm-hmm. I feel confident that um, this next Generation is going to continue to to work on this issue, and it's going to become uh, more common than not that we'll look back on the days of when everybody had to go to a school and they had no options, and it will be foreign to maybe the next generation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and Jennifer, one of the things that I'm that keeps coming up in in your story and in your work is just the way that the bishops in their various dioceses in, the, in, in various states throughout the country, like, are really present. I mean, you you just you mentioned how. In your own life you know two um two at the time priests and now bishops are really understanding the importance of youth and education and so so many bishops are just are making that commitment to uh be leaders in this area and same thing in, in our office in pro-life like just the amazing work that they do in their dioceses and it's i to me that gives me hope in your work and in our work as well the incredible work that's being done in parishes and dioceses all throughout this country is just, uh, it is so encouraging. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll just put in one plug. We had Notre Dame come to the USCCB uh, just about two months ago, and they invited several dozen bishops just to come and talk about how can we improve Catholic schools and transform Catholic schools and look at um, some of the um, challenges that are out there and come up with proactive solutions um to these problems. So since that occurred, um, our own committee on Catholic Education met and learned about what the conversations that were had there um, and have tasked our office with putting together a kind of long-term four-pronged strategy to address many of the challenges that um that that were discussed. So they are really engaged in this and I think we're in a really good point right now to um, to look at a wide range of challenges, not just you know focusing on one problem. Oh, enrollment has gone down over the past five years. Well, okay, fine. Well, let's broaden that out to look at you know bigger picture things that we can um, really have an impact on. For sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I wonder if to close us out, if you might say, give us some kind of uh, a word on just what ordinary Catholics can do to, to make a difference on this issue? What, what are some things that we can, ways that we can take some kind of action, something concrete?
1: Yeah. Well, number one, find out if there is a school choice program in your state. Um, you could do that by reaching out to your Catholic conference, or you could go to the Catholic education uh, office uh, website within the USCCB office. And we have, um, a a little fact sheet that defines all the different types of school choice. And then there's two specific reports on there that are updated annually that say what programs are available for what types of students in every single state. So all that information is there. Um, And if you uh, have children who are eligible, take advantage, but if you don't, if you have grandchildren, aunts, uncles, or even maybe local parishioners who you know want to have access, then help spread the word about the programs that are out there in your parishes. Um, We can talk about these in Catholic schools, and that's fine, but those kids are already in school. We need to talk about these to our parishes. We need our pastors talking about them at the pulpit, and we need to spread the word to those that are not in Catholic school and make sure they are hearing the message um, and then, if there's not a Catholic school program in your state, then I would encourage you to um, find a way, talk to your principal, and invite a public leader to your school. There's no better way to tell the story of Catholic schools than to have someone walk through the doors and meet the children, meet the teachers, see what's going on in the engagement in, in the classrooms. Um, and I'm quite certain they will be highly impressed. Um, and, and, a, and a great photo op. Sorry to interrupt. But yeah. Photo op. Photo <laughs> sure. op, right? A bunch of school kids, right? They would love it. Right? It's a win-win. Yeah, yeah. They,
0: yeah, they do love that. was my understanding. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes, uh, public leaders are eager to have these sorts of opportunities. So everybody yeah.
1: wins with this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not to mention many, many public leaders across state, federal, And local governments are products of Catholic schools. So, you know, do you have any alumni who are now my own Catholic school, St. Ambrose? Alumni is, you know, Governor Larry Hogan of Maryland. Of Maryland. Right. So sure enough, we did invite him back. He came back to visit a couple weeks ago, um, had a Um, little event with the kids. Um, But yeah, so, you know, you invite these men and women, these leaders back, and then you can say to them, you like what you see here, what can you do? At your office to help get more access to the school for children who would like to have access and maybe need to have um, need to get out of a, out of a failing school or need a new environment. And Jennifer, isn't there Catholic Schools Week every in January, uh-huh. like third or fourth week of January? That's a great time yeah, to last celebrate. Week of January. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I implore you to please invite the outside community into your school during Catholic Schools Week. Um, it's great that we have Parents' Day, and it's great that we have Grandparents' Day, but I feel strongly that we should have City Council Day, and we should have State Legislature Day, and we should have Invite Your Congressman Day. You know, The more people come into our schools, the more they will see uh, the magic that is in you know Catholic schools. I once had a public policy leader, they were on a panel, and he said, he's like, I just wish we could figure out what it was about Catholic schools that made them so great and put it in a box. <laughs> Well, that's called the tabernacle. Yeah. Um, we have a box. It's called the
0: tabernacle. I think we'll close on that. So that's it's a, <laughs> a great way to end end our conversation. So thank you so much for joining us. Though this is it's it's informative. I'm uh, and I'm glad that I get to work down the hall from you guys. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Uh, this is Aaron Matthew Weldon
1: and Mary McCluskey. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the First Freedom Podcast.